0: Welcome to Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Caresi. This is the podcast where I do improvise horror stories. What I do is uh, I pull out random titles from a jar and then I make up the stories from there. And if you have any titles you'd like to submit, you can send them to quarantine Show at gmail.com or send them to me through more direct means. Uh, I was sick all last week and it really messed with my throat um, I don't think it was COVID but I uh, went out to take a test just in case so I'm a little bit rusty in, uh, in more ways than one Yeah, it has been a strange week but it had me thinking about uh, destiny a bit forces of fate are more often not stacked against you, Uh, but you still have the ability to steer into the life that you want to live. And uh, that ability is not something uh, to be cast aside. Yeah, again, my throat's a little bit off. Record what I can tonight. But yeah, I have a feeling that uh, this episode might be a strange one, but uh, let's find out, shall we? Okay. This story is called "The Dust on the Bookcase" is strange. Work for a library. No, I didn't have any aspiring dreams to become a librarian. Though I certainly do respect the trade. To be a librarian, you get gifted with a, a certain generali- generalist type of knowledge. You know a little bit of everything, whether someone comes into the library seeking out literary fiction or how to operate circuit boards, you can definitely uh, chat about them with it. And through their own expertise you can find uh, discover separate other fields of As many uh, horror stories go, people often seek out the forbidden knowledge, occult knowledge, buried spiritualities, some that may be uh, too much for the human brain to handle. I know, that wasn't the field of knowledge. That really shook me. The field of knowledge that shook me was about hamster anatomy. I was never really a big pet person. I would have some friends that were totally, like, into birds and stuff. And they had, like, a little parakeet that rests on their shoulder, you know. And they do little Instagram stories with it. And I'd watch them and I would just think, I don't I don't I don't get the whole bird thing, you know. But I lived alone in an apartment, I was thinking about getting some sort of companion. Maybe like a small dog or something, or even a rabbit. section in the library that would discuss pets and whatnot. I technically knew the Dewey Decimal System but I was already forgetting it. No one uses it anymore, you know. Just put in a quick search in the library archive and look up the number and that's all you need. I remember in grade school we had to learn the Dewey Decimal System because how could you maneuver through a library and find what you needed to know? the Dewey Decimal System one of many fields of knowledge uh, and ways of thinking and organization that have fallen by the wayside in recent times. I remember one, uh, one person came in, maybe about uh, 18 or 19, they were looking for a book about the weather. And I said, oh, maybe the farmer's Almanac would do it. And then they said to me, what's an almanac? It's a strange thing. Not that I have any specific romance with almanacs, though plenty of people do. However, it's uh, having a baseline of statistical, well-reported data knowledge. The fact that modern times have less of that standard plays a big role in where we are today. This is what I was thinking about while well, looking at the looking for pet stuff, you know. I didn't want to be all doom and gloom about it. I just wanted to have a little pet companion. Certainly not a tall ask, or so I thought. But I was just looking for something easy to take care of, um For some reason, I settled on hamster. I think it's because I flipped through a very, uh, very topical book about it, very surface level about the, uh, about all the nuance of taking care of a hamster. And I was just like, oh, okay, cool, this looks doable. So I ended up going to a nearby pet store and getting a hamster, or I got two of them actually. Named, uh, Ron and John. I'm not good with names. Anyway. took care of Ron and John, and it was simple enough. They were just little hamsters. But I was reading more of the, the uh, service-level book. Could have easily been designed for grade, grade school kids and whatnot. But I was also recommending some books about, a hamster and anime. And I thought, okay, that seems cool. So then when I was at the library at work, I picked up some other books on hamster anatomy. I was becoming fascinated with it. I have a lot of fleeting fascinations with uh, various topics and whatnot. Usually after a few weeks or even a month, I'm just like, all right, ready to move on to the next thing, you know? Real approximate knowledge and jack-of-all-trades method of knowing things, you know? But I was really stuck on hamster anatomy. It started off simple, like, oh, these are their bones, this is their organs, Uh, these are their breeding cycles and whatnot. Then the books I was reading was citing sources that was in our forbidden section of the library. And that's where all like the occult stuff is and whatnot. But the hamster anatomy stuff wasn't really connected to the occult stuff, so I just thought, oh, why is that you know, why is that in the forbidden section, you know? First, I thought it was speculative. They said some crazy things about hamster anatomy. How the bones and joints can bend all different ways under the right circumstances uh, if the hamsters were passionate enough. And also that hamsters were the only creatures uh, that could uh, survive death. And I was just like, survive death? How can that work? Again, this seems speculative at first. I don't know if this was just some sort of subgenre of conspiracies, just about these hamsters, you know, having these very uh, superna- seemingly supernatural traits. rainstorm came. I checked out all the books on hamsters that were around during the time. Apparently it wasn't sort of a field of knowledge that most people were going for, so I was able to check out all the books that I could. They were just stacked up on my desk, and I'd read them one by one on my bed. I kept the hamsters in the kitchen in a cage there, because the hamster because you know, when you keep ham- hamsters, it has a very gnarly smell. Um, so I thought the kitchen would be a better spot for it, so it didn't like stain any furniture or carpet or whatnot, so it wouldn't stink up the whole house. Um, kind of a half assed thought process, but you know what? I was new to caretaking hamsters. Talking about uh, all the methods on how to survive death and whatnot. And I just thought, oh, maybe I can learn something from this. one clause that said uh, one of the ways that they can survive death is through blunt force trauma and I just thought well that's absurd how could you possibly survive blunt force trauma for a little hamster there's a sicker part of me that wanted to try it out getting a hammer and testing it out, but I thought, no, no, this, this hamster anatomy is getting to me a bit too much. And then suddenly I heard a crash in the kitchen. I kept the hamsters in an old fish tank, and I went in and glass was broken everywhere. I don't know how the hamsters had the strength to break the glass there. there would. There, there, there they were. <clears throat> there they were. Dead on the table from the impact. Again, I love these hamsters very much. It was such a tragic way to go. to do, I just buried them in the backyard, put them both in a little shoebox, and put a cross on top, and then that was the end of it. And that's when I was kind of, you know, sobering up in my hamster obsession a little bit, just being like, yeah, I've been reading too much about this hamster stuff, you know. Hamster and and all these speculations. They're just hamsters. Eventually I was, uh, uh peering off to a different uh, field of knowledge. Like the history of Soviet, Soviet Propaganda. When I was in my room, I heard scratching at the edge of my wall. I didn't think much of it at first, you know, could have been raccoons, you know, or other critters around, a groundhog maybe, you know. But still, the scratch persisted. It wasn't always consistent. I would just hear it, and then when I'd sit up to listen to it, it would just stop. And it just kept going on and on in that rhythm. Scratching and it would stop. Scratching and it would stop. So I went outside with my flashlight. I looked in the area, uh, my yard, where the little hamsters were scratching. So I didn't see anything. I don't know why I thought it was the hamsters at first. That was my immediate impulse when I walked out. It's like, oh, it must be the hamsters, because my heart—I truly believed that these hamsters could survive death under the right circumstances. the hamsters and I was just like well maybe if I just check their grave you know that'll prove me wrong for sure and I went over and sure enough the grave was intact it was untouched so then I just felt relaxed and I went back to bed and felt nothing of it but every few nights the scratching persisted Scritch, scratch, scratch, scratch. It was troubling me. So against my better judgment, I read more about Hamster Anatomy. Trying to see what they were fully capable of. So I was reading it, in one of the books one clause that said all they want is to be fed a lot of the time. Every hamster has its different once a hamster has survived death every hamster has its own goals and motivations. But more often than not it just wants to feed. It'll take whatever you can give it. At this point, I was well on the side that, uh, you know, this hamster stuff was all speculation, you know? Nothing quite to take seriously or anything like that. by nightmares, but these really did it for me. I had to, you know in the dreams I had dreams that all my pursuits were falling apart. All the people that I loved betrayed me and the, that the mysterious forces of the universe were killing me softly. And then I wake up and I see those little bastards suckling on me. Trying to suck my blood, so I swat them off and swat them off, and they land on the floor. And I thought, oh yeah, blunt force trauma. So I set up an old bird cage that was around from the person that lived here before me, I just put the hamsters in there, not knowing what to do. And they were still the same hamsters that I knew, you know, little Ron and little John, but their bodies and faces were more mutilated. They didn't look uncomfortable or distressed, you know. still continuing to live. And I looked into it, and the hamsters would only suck blood if they couldn't find anything else. So I thought, okay, well, I guess I'll keep feeding these hamsters. And I've had many, since then I've had many phases, um phases with these hamsters. At first, I was cool with them, you know, feeding them and whatnot. And then I tried to, like, give them away. In some cases, I even tried to euthanize them. But every time I tried to get rid of them, through either one mean or another, They'd always arrive once again, scratching at the edge of the house, coming in trying to suck my blood. So then I just thought, okay, I guess I'm stuck with these hamsters. And they always get more mutilated, more and more as time persists. as death just hasn't quite found a way to catch them to seize them in their grasp so I tell you this just to implore to you uh, what it's like to have a hamster what it's like to take care of them and if you want You come over, we can see them right now. Alright, this next story is called These Comic Books Will Rot Your Brain. A lot of people have different views of the 1950s. A lot of people identify the B generation with the 1950s. American culture for the next 50 to 70 years. However, what a lot of people remembered for are the vast waves of censorship that took place during that decade. A lot of scholars and historians uh, look at that decade and often think, you know, all right, so there's this crazy war happened and this crazy uh, economic recession occurred, so there's a big, big media push for making uh, everything hunky-dory, you know, the whole white picket fence trope, and that certainly existed. swear words or anything like that nothing too profane at least not on the surface if you take a closer look the right and you certainly came through especially in music and jazz and all that There's one medium uh, that more or less disregarded uh, the waves of censorship and normalcy and hunky doriness uh, that really pervaded that decade. And that was comic books. Well-known publisher at the time, EC Comics, published some of the some of the most superb horror stories around uh, in America in that decade, possibly that century, depending on depending on who you ask. Definitely cast a large watermark of what horror narratives end up becoming uh, in America, at least. Well, these uh, you know, overall most of these stories are pretty tame. A lot of them had subjects of uh characters that were trying to bury their bullshit, and then having their b- bullshit uh, come back to haunt them. This was a terrifying concept for the arbiters of uh, hunky-doryness. PSAs about how you shouldn't read these comics, and how they'll rot-, they're rot your brain, and all that. And in the medium of comics specifically, uh, the Comics Code Authority was founded. This was a very stern uh, method of censorship uh, that wouldn't really be undone uh, until the 60s, a decade later. This was a great effort to have a certain standard for, you know, for nothing profane in comic books or anything like that. We've made superhero comics uh, much more incredibly tame, you know, like things like Batman and Robin uh, chasing the Joker on a fire truck or something. being a kid during that era witnessing the disappearance of these really juicy comics well you had to find that entertainment somewhere else so that's what little Denny was thinking of himself as he uh, stood in his backyard had a baseball and a glove and was just tossing the baseball up in the air and catching it tossing it up in the air and catching it again. Just feeling bored, you know. He loved horror comics. He thought they were very thoughtful and poignant and, most of all, badass and cool. But his parents, uh, bought into the propaganda of how these comics would your brain, so they forbid him from bringing them into the house Occasionally he'll be able to find some in the woods, abandoned here and there, a couple of cool friends that had like a cool older brother uh, that was able to pass some old ones along, but overall, he couldn't quite find a proper vehicle for entertainment. So little Denny went to the comic book shop and tried to look around, tried to get inspired, he was looking at baseball card and comics, and he was just like, fuck, I wish there were some good comics out there. He didn't say fuck in his head, but, like, the childhood version of that, um, the feeling of being all like, ah, oh, fuck, man. Like, that was certainly present in his head when he searched for these comic books. And then he saw his friend Robbie, uh, perusing some stacks, and he was like, oh, hey, Denny, what's up? And then Denny was just like, oh, hey, Robbie, what you doing? And Robbie was just like, ah, just going through some fucking comics, man. You know, there's some good shit here. And then Denny was just like, I don't know. Um, It's ever since, you know, freaking EC was tamped down. You know, it's hard to find. You know, my parents won't let me even read, like, Mad Magazine and bring that to the house. Robbie was just like, oh, that sucks. I'll show you something that uh, the kids are passing along in the neighborhood for sure. And then he showed him a a comic that was uh, funded by the uh, Christians of America Foundation. Had a collection of Bible stories. Um, it was in a similar format to those EC horror comics like uh, The Haunts of Fear and Tales from the Crypt. But this package is uh, just, uh, you know, Bible stories that were illustrated and they were presented by these, uh, Greek, mythological fi- uh, these Greek mythological figures um, they were the storytellers in that, uh, comic. And Denny was just like, uh, I don't know. I have I always gotta go to church on Sundays. Like, I got enough church, you know. I got the pastor talking about shit, about, like, oh, why, this is why you th- think Jesus is cool, and I'm just not not into it, man. And Robbie was just like, I don't know, you should check it out. It's pretty cool. At least try it out. Go, get a copy. And Denny was like, well, I got some change for it, so I guess I could do that. So we bought the comic, and the comic was called uh, Bible Stars 101. And he was reading the stories, and uh, you know what? They weren't half bad. You know, you know, it wasn't like the Ten Commandments, but oh all no, all, the Bible does have some have some good shit. And some of those stories were there, you know, about the the guy flying too close to the sun, um, and some other Bible stories in there. Then he was like, oh, this isn't half bad, but, uh, what struck him about it was not the stories themselves, because, again, there are some Bible stories that are some real superb classic myths, but what got Denny was just, like, the packaging of these stories, you know? Like, the stench of propaganda was just wafting off these comics, Bible stories presented by Greek mythological figures, like, come on, that's, like, as Western Europe as it gets, man, you know? They made the Bible stories, like, so tame, you know? Then you knew a handful of Bible stories, you know? You thought about Sodom and Gomorrah, and that is a... That's a... There's some fucked-up tales there. But no, this, uh... This comic just really watered it down, you know. Just made it plain and simple, you know. Denny wasn't too into it, you know. He was just like, ah, oh, you know, again, I would just rather, I'd rather read the Bible, you know, than read this. So he just tossed it and. No, didn't think much of it. Or well, he saved it. He tossed it to the side and then told himself that he'd give it away to someone. Yeah, the next day he was hanging out uh, with his friend Bruce, and they were talking about uh, comics and stuff. And then he was just like, yeah, I got this uh, freaking Bible comic, do you want it? And then Bruce was just like, yeah, sure, i Take a look And then Bruce was reading it And he was like, oh wow, this shit's pretty cool And then Denny was just like, really? And then Bruce was just like, yeah then then Denny remembered that Bruce wasn't raised Christian So, you know, this was like a whole other thing Just like, oh, discovering the Bible, you know so Den- inside Denny's head, he was just like, "Oh shit! I hope I hope I'm not converting him. That is totally not my intention by spreading these Bible stories. But I guess it's a big reason why people spread Bible stories, so they get so into the Bible they become Christian, you know. But wouldn't it be nice to just appreciate these stories on their by their own merit, uh, instead of just joining like this big weird cult thing?" So a couple days go by, uh, and Denny decides to go over Robbie's house, and Robbie was the one that, uh, showed him the world of Christian Bible comics, uh, from the Christians of America, uh, Foundation. And then Denny talked to Robbie's mom, and Denny was just like, hey, is Robbie home? And then Robbie's mom was just like, oh yeah, he totally is, you know, he's just sitting in the uh, living room reading. And then he was just like, alright, thanks. And then he goes in and he's mortified by what he witnesses. He sees Robbie, but it looks like half of his head is like eaten out from the inside. It's just like there's this giant hole in his cranium and like this what looks like this weird thick goopy mold growing on the rim of it and his head inside was just like this bulbous ooze and it stunk the smell it was disgusting The creepy stench of propaganda had a physical scent. It would be the smell of Robbie's brain. Then he just looked at him for a long time and Denny was just like Robbie? Robbie was still alive. Even though he was missing half his brain. One of his eyeballs is also steadily drooping out of his head he just like looks over, slightly tilting his head. The drooping eye also rolling over. And then just Robbie said it was like, Oh hey Denny. He could barely speak. Sound like his mouth was swollen or something. Like he was allergic to bees, and he was bitten by ten of them on the inside of his mouth. And Denny was just like, Robbie, what's wrong with you? Are you okay? Robbie was just like, oh yeah man, Then Denny couldn't hear a word that he said. He just looked at Robbie's mom and Denny just said, Hey what's what's wrong with uh what's wrong with Robbie? And then Robbie's mom was just like, Oh nothing's wrong with him, you know, he's just been reading these sweet Christian Bible comics, you know, it's been great. He's been so well behaved ever since. Denny was just like, half his brain's missing. And then Robbie's mom was just like, oh, do each their own. Actually, Robbie started to stand up. He had a lot of trouble doing it. Again, Denny was amazed that he was able to function. Missing half your brain would kill most people apparently not devout Christians. So they went outside, and they didn't talk much. Robbie would mutter something every now and again. But then he didn't respond, because it didn't seem like he was speaking to him. It's like Robbie was off on his own world, and then he might as well not have been there. Eventually they meander over to Bruce's house. And then Denny just thought, oh shit, that's right, I did give I did give Bruce one of those comics. I hope he didn't he wasn't too into them. Oh fuck, he was too into it, shit. So they go over to Bruce's house. And they see Bruce on the porch. Not as severe as Robbie's condition, but again a piece of his brain was protruding out of his head. A piece of his head was missing and being rotted out. By this weird moldy substance. His face wasn't as swollen as Robbie's, so he was able to communicate on some level, just like, oh, hey guys. And then Robbie muttered something, and then Denny was just like, Bruce, what the fuck happened to you? And Bruce was just like, oh no, it's, ah, uh, mm, my head hurts, but yeah, it's been great. Been going to church every Sunday. Fuck, I love Jesus. Ah, my head. Shit. And Denny's just like, Dude, you gotta stop reading those comics. Those Bible comics will rot your brain. And Bruce is just like, No, it just it just hurts, but it's the good kind of pain. Ugh. And eventually they go into... Go to Bruce's backyard uh, to play some catch and uh, you know, play some uh, hit some baseballs with a baseball bat not a full game of baseball but just hitting it, you know and then he was pitching but uh, every time he tried to toss a ball um, none of them would swing, you know It wasn't that they didn't understand, uh, the methods of baseball, you know. But it's just a matter of they were missing the, uh, core human, uh, ingredient. Um, you, uh, find an opportunity to act, and then take it, you know, in the heat of a moment, you know. That's a big appeal to baseball, you know. Hitting that ball just at the right time, right at that sweet spot, and just knowing when it's going to happen. And if you're a professional baseball player, you really know you know that uh, moment very well, as well as anyone can, I suppose. But you know, these kids were playing; they didn't have it, didn't have the slightest clue of, you know, of the necessary uh, mental fortitude to play baseball. Setting Denny, you know. Even if he lived in the world where popular commercial entertainment was total shit, he thought he could rely on his friends and the people he cared about. But that just wasn't happening for him. He'd had some conversations with uh, Bruce and Robbie about how they shouldn't read those comics uh, in the next coming weeks but he already knew that it was the beginning of the end that his two bros were totally rotting their brain for the most useless bullshit ever and that's when uh, little Denny was uh, he started to grow up and from there he started to draw his own comics he was just like alright well If people don't want good comics, I guess I'll make them. And he had a lot of fun with them, you know. They're really gory and gross. And the friends he made that uh, weren't lost to propaganda, he'd show them, just like, hey, check this out. And they'd be like, oh shit, that's fucking nasty, that's awesome. He's like, yeah, right, sick. And then he became a teenager in the 60s. And then by the dawn of the 70s, he was uh, making his way as as an alternative cartoonist on the West Coast in California. A lot of anthologies picked him up, he had his own books, and he'd present himself at the fairs he's already getting a reputation for himself making all these sick weird comics because he knew how uh, streamlined bullshit propaganda can affect people not even just propaganda itself it's not too bad when people know that it's propaganda but just distilling these methods of thinking uh, that are not one's own can synchronize with others to a creepy degree where it gets to the point that everyone just has these templates for thought and not really critically thinking themselves. No, Denny knew the detriment of this kind of entertainment and media out into the world. So he set to make something unique, something that portrayed his voice. Hopefully something that can spark the joy that those old EC horror horror comics uh, did for him as a kid. One day he was hanging out at the comic shop, uh, his favorite comic shop, uh, in San Francisco. He was talking to the clerk there, and they were just shooting the shit, you know, talking about nothing in particular. And then this woman comes in, and she's, uh. perusing the, uh alternative comics, uh, rack. rack. seeing all the stuff that was presented and whatnot and she flipped through, uh one of Denny's comics and he was just like, oh my god she said it in a joking way, but she also meant it to a degree and then she turned to the clerk for the store and she was like, oh, these comics will rot your brain And then he was just like, hey, not my comics. Last quarantine spook show. I'm Kyle Kresi, and good was a bit much of my voice but I'm glad I made it through